We, um, so the last couple of weeks, we've looked at um, two big lies, I'm alone and I'm weak, and how the gospel speaks into both. And the, 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 the reality is we, a lot of those things, the lies that we tell ourselves, the fake news that we believe, they're internal stories, internal narratives that we tell ourselves. Um, they, they can come from external messaging, they can come from external voices, um, ex, you know, things of our experiences, but they, they play around in our minds, don't they? they, they if you ever just got caught up in telling yourself a narrative, you get stuck in the loop, going round and round and round, and that, that feeds on... Um, <laughs> feeds on chairs. Um, it, it, and so it feeds, the, the cycle just feeds off itself. It just keeps going and going and going. And so today, um, what I want us to do is land this series with, um, with the, one of the lies that we believe is that I am not dot, dot, dot enough. You can fill in the gap. Um, the, thing, the thing about these lies that I've come to appreciate, and I think you'll appreciate and know and understand, is that there's always an element to some kind of, there's some truth in it what happens is that that gets blown up. So the fact is that sometimes we are on our own, but we are never alone. There's sometimes that we are, we are weak, but we, in Christ we are, we, are, we are more than conquerors. The fact is that we aren't actually enough, but we have enough in Christ. We are enough in him. And so the, the, what the enemy does is he plays on a truth, a theological truth or a, 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 an experienced truth that we have and blows it up into all proportion and goes, that is who you are. So we live out of our failures. We live out of our experiences. We live out of our not enough because we don't ever feel like we're ever going to be able to, to get through it or break past it. And so this morning, I, I, want, us to, I want to just unpack this. Now I realize that when we talk about, when, I talk, when anybody talks about this from the front, it's, it's easy to do it, like just launch it out there and not think of the consequences or the ramifications. The reality of it is we've, we've maybe all got, well not maybe, we've all got stuff. I think Emma mentioned earlier, our bro, the brokenness, we're all a little bit broken and I, I think it's our brokenness as God heals us that brings, gives glory to his name. So how do we begin to break the cycle of those thoughts that I am not enough? Now, um, you might not be brave enough to, uh, to throw out your I am not enough. Um, but um, one, of the, one of my I am not enough is I am not good enough. I am not clever enough. I am not bright enough. I am not eloquent enough. I am not privileged enough. I am not any of those things, but I am not good enough which um, will tie into my personality. I'm, yeah, um, not good enough. So, um, failures or the apparent not being able to meet the standards, the self-imposed standards of my life mean that when I don't hit those standards, I can live with the sense of I am not good enough. And then that feeds the cycle of how can God ever use somebody like you because you, have, you, you, duh, 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 duh. you haven't met your own standards. So how can you even begin to, to help hold anybody else to any other standards because you're just not good enough. And it feeds off the, the, the inner voice, the inner narrative of an experience or things that we have done, said, or um, acted upon in the past that feeds those thoughts. 
And so what's, what's your not good enough? You're like me, you might have a, a whole list of things that you reel off and actually I, I, I'm not good enough. But we are, we're in good company, actually, because if you look throughout the pages of Scripture, it's full of people who God used who weren't good enough. Because the reality is, none of us are good enough, but by his grace and his mercy and his kindness, he actually enables us to fulfill the very things that he's purposed us to do in our brokenness and our imperfection. So shall we just look at a couple of, um, well, there's, there's four people that I'm going to identify, and you'll probably be able to fill out the gaps. And this is, this is multiplied since I last shared this with John, because on Monday I was saying, yeah, I'm going to talk about Jeremiah. Uh, by Wednesday, I go, no, I'm going to talk about Moses as well. By, by last night, it was, no, I'm going to talk about Paul and I'm going to talk about John the Baptist as well. Because uh, actually, the reality is we could pick any biblical character and go, there's a moment in their life when they just demonstrated that they weren't good enough. But what was that? that wasn't where the story stopped. Because what the, the biblical story does takes people who have failed and, he, and God, by his grace, uses them to, he transforms them and enables them to fulfill his purposes because he is enough. He's always enough. Always more than enough. And so he, um, Moses. Moses in, Mo, uh, in Exodus chapter 4, it begins, he's had this mega experience at the burning bush. He's also, by the way, committed murder. You know, just bludgeoned an Egyptian to death and tried to hide it. Now, I'm going to tell you a story that I hadn't planned. Are you ready for this? No, I've not committed murder. Um, But the shame, can you imagine the shame that Moses felt in that moment? Right. So I... I, um, as I say, one of the things that I, I, I struggle with is I'm not good enough because of, you know, the failures, it has an impact upon me. So when I was, I went, I've been to Bible college twice, all right? So once as a seven-year-old and then second time to actually train for ministry. The first time I was at Bible college, as, uh, it might, I must have been about 10 actually because this time the, the college had moved, um, there were some older kids that were part of the Bible college, they, their parents were studying for ministry too. Now, as you would expect, pastor's kids or trainee pastor's kids are absolute delights and perfect, aren't they? Perfect in every single way. Right, well, actually, these kids, they weren't particularly perfect. At Nanwich, there was a secret, secret tunnels. It was great fun as a kid, right? Places where we shouldn't have gone, but there were secret tunnels. And this secret, particular secret tunnel led to a, an upstairs environment where there was a tuck shop. All right? Tuck shop. It had double-deckers. I love double-deckers, <laughs> right? So as a, an impressionable nine or ten-year-old, you, you know where the story's going, don't you? These kids, um, I'm following along. We get to the treasure, we raid the treasure of double-deckers, and we sneak off, and we enjoy a feast. Now, this happened over a period of time. Now, I, you know, I know that that's wrong, all right? I did have to, um, I did, I did have to go and confess it to the principal, <laughs> um, but I remember the shame 
even as a 10-year-old, knowing that that was, that was just not right. I remember going to, um, on that summer, before I confessed my deepest, darkest sin to my parents. Can you imagine? Um, we were in Tenby in Wales, and the sun was scorching that day, that week, actually. And this day, particular day, I got sunburned. Now, looking back, I'm thinking, it's the judgment of God. Right? <laughs> this is the Lord's judgment being poured out upon me. fact is, I just didn't have enough sun cream. But it, have you ever been burned? It's, it's horrific. I couldn't sleep. I just, it was horrible. And, and then the thoughts of what I was doing were plaguing me to such a degree that I woke my mum and dad up and said, I, uh, I confess this. And then, anyway, it was all sorted out. But I've lived with those sort of moments of secret shame that if, if I hadn't confessed that, what would that have become? Hidden, deceitful, double life potentially. So what I'm trying to say is that Moses was carrying this guilt and shame. But even in, in, in Exodus 3, he has this moment of encounter with God that, that changes things for him. Been on a journey of transformation and process. But God didn't dis discount what had happened. Or didn't say, like, well, what's happened there discredits you from what is going to happen in the future. Because I've still got purpose for you, Moses. But there's going to be a process. And then in, in chapter 4, he says this. Moses answered, what if they won't believe me and will not obey me? But, they, uh, but the Lord said, did, uh, um, the Lord did not appear to you. And so it goes on with this dialogue between God. And God actually gets a little bit angry with Moses. And then it comes down to verse 10. It says, Moses replied to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been, I've never been eloquent. I am not eloquent enough. Then verse um, Verse 13 is that Moses said, please, Lord, send somebody else equals I am not good enough. Send somebody else. Anybody ever sent like God? Oh, please, just somebody else do it because they're better than me. They've got more experience than me. They, you, you can fill in the gaps. Okay, so Moses, here's this man who God is, you, you, will use to bring, the, uh, to bring the Israelites out of Egypt wrestling with God, saying, I'm not good enough. What about Jeremiah? In Jeremiah chapter, um, chapter 1. So it says this, um, The word of the Lord came to me. I choose you before, uh, chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. But I protested. Oh, Lord, oh no, Lord God. Look, I don't know how to speak. Echoes of Moses. Since I am only a youth, I am not old enough. I am not experienced enough. I am not. We're in good company this morning. Then what about John the Baptist? So that when he's, that Jesus is, is coming before him and he's proclaiming the Lamb of God and he says, I, I am not worthy enough to even untie the sandals of his feet. You look in John chapter 1, I think it's verse 27. I'm not even worthy enough to untie the sandals. That place of, of absolute servitude. I'm not even worthy to do that. And yet... John was the last of the, the Old Testament-style prophets who proclaimed and prophesied the coming of Messiah. John wasn't perfect by any means because he wasn't God. So what was in his backstory? 
And then the Apostle Paul, who stood as Stephen was stoned, the persecutor of the church, who then says, I am, I am the least among the apostles. I'm not worthy. Effectively, I'm not even worthy to be accounted among them because I persecuted the church. I was there when people were murdered. Signing off on it, effectively. So what a mixed bag of people. And you can, no doubt, pick out some others. But Moses was a man who God used to free Israel, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Jeremiah was a, a young man, probably, they think, between 12 and 16 when God called him, who God appointed to be a prophet to the nations, to call the nations back to God. They were going to go into Babylon. They were, they were going to be exiled. And he, God raises up this 12 or 16-year-old to go and proclaim truth, God's word, to the nations. So don't ever, tell, don't ever let God, anybody say, you're not old enough or you're too old. Because Moses was an old man by the time he saw some of the things that God had promised. And then John, John the Baptist ushered in the Messianic age proclaiming uh, the Messiah. And then the Apostle Paul, a zealot. All the credentials according to Judaism to be who he was. But, but in Christ, he counted all of that loss. The least of the apostles who actually was used significantly by the Lord so that in Romans 15 he says, I've got nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else in this land, in the, in the known world, for the gospel to go. I've been everywhere. How did, it wasn't just Paul doing that, but he mobilized others who were called out by God to go and fulfill the mission of God in that time and in that era. God using significant people. Yeah, but Ian, their characters written in the Bible. But we're part of his story. We're part of the unfolding purposes of God in the hereafter because he's, he's in one respect, it's written. The beginning and the end, we, we know he wins. Like, new heaven and the new earth, the age that is to come, that is assured because of the resurrection of Jesus. So in the interim period, we are, we are, we are part of his story. We're playing out his story. It's not like it's pre- the whole predestination thing. We get some choices that we make to partner with him or not. He's never going to force us to partner with him, ever. He invites us to join with him as he writes our story. And so therefore, he takes those of us who are not good enough, who have failed, who have messed up, and there's not one person in this room who won't look back at a past event and go, if only I could rewrite my story. If only I could make a different decision, if only I'd listened to the whisper of the Spirit, it would have saved so much pain. There's not one of us that, can, that will not look back on life and go, if only. And it's those moments of, of failure, past failure that can feed those, those thought, the thought patterns of, I am not enough. See, um, <laughs> Where is the, where's the root of all of that come from? Well, I think in order to understand all of that, we do need to look at Genesis. 
actually the first first 11 chapters of the Bible are really significant. And by the way, I'm not going to read all 11 chapters of Genesis to you this morning because um, there are some really tricky names and I don't do tricky names. All right. But, um, but have, a, have a read of, when you get home of uh, Genesis 3. All right. You can read, well, read Genesis 1 to 3 because you see that actually we, un- we understand this. We know this to be theologically true. God had made us and made everything good. So when he looked at the first humans, what did he say? You're good. And actually he looked at all creation and went, oh, this is very good. So when we are made in the image of God, we are made very good. We are made to reflect his glory, his kingdom, his majesty, his pattern of life. Genesis 3 happens and what, we, all, we again, many of you have read it and you know the story. Um, Adam and Eve are tempted by the serpent to eat of the fruit of the tree of, of, of good and evil. And uh, they, they, they fall into that temptation. Then what happens? What happens to Adam and Eve? What do they do? Hide. So they hide, yes? Then they seek to self-medicate. Because what do they do? They take fig leaves. And they start to sow the fig leaves in order to cover their what? Their shame. Because the exposing of their flesh now to other people meant that it was shame. It brought shame because they knew that they'd done wrong. The nakedness wasn't wrong. It was their act, their rebellion that opened up their eyes. We've done, we've done wrong. Was that, was that true? Yes, it was. Was that the end of the story? No, it wasn't. So they sought to try and self-medicate. Now, in our world in which we live in, I, I think we are prone to try and self-medicate. Whether it's, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's whatever it might be, but that might not be your self-medication. Actually, that might not be your story. So the question is, what are the other things you're filling in the three dots that are seeking to try and self-medicate on the I am not good enough? Because the root of I am not good enough is is in the shame that we feel of past experiences or past moments. Whether we did it or it was done to us, it carries shame. The root of it is we see back in Genesis 3. Beautiful thing about Genesis 3 is God doesn't leave them to to self-medicate. Have a look at Genesis 3 verse 20. What what does God do? Close. So having... Having gone, these are the consequences that you are going to experience in this life, in this age. List it. It's relational. Like the stuff, because of all of that, because of the shame that they carry, there would be impact upon their life. God doesn't leave them there. He clothes them. He slaughters an animal and gives gives them leather to wear. Covers their nakedness. It's God's medication. What is that pointing to? It's pointing to the gospel. It's pointing to the truth that we are in, in and of ourselves have done things that will cause shame and will lead us to live the life that, and believe the lie that says we are not good enough. But there is a different story that we can tell ourselves because he doesn't leave us in our shame. He has God in his mercy sent Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God, to take the shame and the guilt that is rightfully ours, to clothe us with righteousness, with his life. 
so that we can, we can tell, begin to tell ourselves a different story. Now, the, you and I know that the reality of it, we, we believe that to be true, don't we? But we can also play out the other narrative. I am not good enough. I know that to be true, Jesus, but I'm actually going to live it this way. Because the, 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 the stories that we tell ourselves give shape to the life that we live. I'm not saying this is a blab it and grab it. This is not about, you know, speak it and it will be. It is a case of reprogramming the story of your mind that says, actually, no, in Christ Jesus, I am never alone. In Christ Jesus, I am made strong. I am more than a conqueror because of him who lives in me. In Christ Jesus, I am more than enough because of all that Christ has deposited in me. I am more than enough because of who he is. My guilt and my shame is done. Therefore, I get to live a better story. And the story that we tell, tell ourselves gives shape to the life that we live. So there are three things that I want you to go away with today. And they are, the, they are theologically true. But the, what I've come to learn is it doesn't matter how many times we hear the theological truth until it's applied to the reality of our life, it will make no difference. And nobody else, nobody else lives inside your head. The only, the only, only uh, the other people can live inside your head if you give them permission to live inside your head. And the thoughts that you have live inside your head if you give them permission to remain there. Now, by the way, I am, I, 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 there, are t- there, are, there are things that we need to get professional help with. So I'm not against, this is not like just believe the gospel and, and that, you know, as if that's, it is enough. But there are, you need friends and you need, you, sometimes there's professional help that's needed in order to get, break through some of that so that you can begin to refile and reshape the thinking of your mind. All of that is necessary. But it's rooted in the reality and the truth of who God is, lived out and expressed because we are living a different story. So we take thought, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So what is the story that you're telling yourself today? What was the story that you woke up telling yourself? And how did it shape how you entered into into this space and into the relationships and connections that we're going to have today? Because I think the... The way that we think gives shape to our behavior. We live out what we truly believe. So these are the theological truths. You and me, we are deeply and dearly loved. Deeply and dearly, sacrificially loved. Radically loved. I was listening to a, 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 somebody that I've, I've followed on Twitter and read, some, read one of his books so far. I'm going to read his next one. It's a guy called Ken Shigematsu. I was listening to him this week. And um, he said one of his practices that he does each morning because of the, the story, the shame that he carried uh, from his life is that he sits each morning and simply uh, t- says the words that the father spoke to Jesus at the, his baptism you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now his argument when people say, well, Ken, um, 
surely that's, that's is, isn't it not inappropriate to take words that were given to the unique son of God and apply them to yourself as well? He gets that. But actually Jesus in, um, in John 15 says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. So what would it look like then if you were to take your name and say, hear the words of the father, Ian is my beloved son with who I am well pleased. John, you're my beloved son, with who I am well pleased. Alan, those words, you insert your name and sit with it. Because this isn't simply about living an external practice. This is about a, a theological truth, the truth that gives shape to our inner, inner life that enables us to live freely gladly, joy-filled life because we've come to know, yes, the accusation is true. Did I, did I eat far too many double-deckers that I didn't pay for? Yes, true. The, the bigger truth, the greater truth is that because of Jesus, because of confession, because of trust in him, I am free. I am set free from the guilt and the shame that that had over, over me. Under this, uh, you, we are deeply loved, is that he turns us from enemies to friends. He embraces us as friends. Second uh, point is this. We are, we are actually perfectly imperfect. Perfectly imperfect. The... The, the truth is that until Jesus comes back and we meet him face to face, we are going to live with the imperfections of our fallen nature. But it doesn't need to retain it. And we don't need, we, I think as I said last week, we don't have an obligation to live according to the flesh. Actually, because of the, the power of the Spirit now lives in us, we, are, we can be comfortable with our imperfection because we know that Christ is at work in us. We know that he is shaping us. We know that as we walk in obedience to him, he, he is doing his deep work in us because what I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So when he looks at you, he doesn't, look, he doesn't see all of the stuff of the past. He just sees the righteousness of his son. You can look at those scriptures. But I love, I love Ephesians 2.10 where it talks about being his workmanship. Crafted and created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He, he's made us perfect in his sight. He works in us and through us, even in our perfection, as he is perfecting us to carry out the things that he's perfectly designed you and me to do. Because the thing that we go, when we go about what we're not good enough is we can look at other people's highlight reel and we don't see the backstory. We don't see the, 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 the things of the edit that are on the editing floor. We just look at the front and we say, oh, I could never be like that. I'm not good enough. I don't. And we just see the, the, the big stuff. And we, the, the, so the comparison that we play against one another is a killer for us effectively stepping out into the things that God has purposed us to do. So the question is, what is he asking of you? Because I think we are perfectly designed to bear the fruit that Jesus has designed us to bear. Because we, are, we each play our part in this unfolding story of God. So we're perfectly imperfect. 
And as Paul, with the, you know, he talked about the, uh, the Apostle Paul talked about the, the thorn in the flesh that was just an irritant to him. He longed for it to go, but he just realized that it was a grace. There might be some stuff of your life that you just wish you could wipe from your memory. I know I do. I know there's some things I just go, oh, man, if only I could wipe that, that last double-decker. If only I could wipe some other things out of my life, I would be, that would be great. But the reality is we can't. But it can lose its power. It can lose its pull. Because the grace of God is sufficient for us. It is enough. His grace and his love and his mercy and his sacrifice is enough. And as we live in light of that grace and mercy and love, he enables us to step into greater fullness who he's designed us to be. And the things of the past hold greater, uh, lesser, sorry, power than they once did. And then we look with John 1, uh, 3, 2, uh, 2 to 3. It says, it's the, the ongoing work of Christ's perfection is that one day, when we see him face to face, we will see him as he really is, and we will be like him. That's the hope. So that's why you and I can begin to ignore the I am not enough things of life, because he is enough. And we have one another where we can stop looking at each other's highlight reels, the, 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 the skills that we have, the gifting that we have, and comparing ourselves to others and to go, Actually, I'm really thankful for that person because I don't have that. But what I do have is this. And we compare what we don't have and we forget about what we do have. And so the, the ability for us as a community of people to be perfectly imperfect is, is a very real one. Because none of us are. So we can drop the pretense and start stepping into these are the things that God has purposed us to do to, and out of, a, uh, out of that, who we're becoming. And the third thing is this, we are, we are chosen. Like if that, if that doesn't do anything for us, then we, this, we, we, we maybe just need to revisit the gospel, is that we are, we are chosen. He's picked us, he's called us, he's identified us, and he knows what we are like. And yet he still chose us to what? To, to bear fruit. To bear fruit, and so when we, as we start, as we, as a community, you know, we are actively pursuing. We, we want to see missional households in all the towns: Ox Hill, Ulster. How is it going to happen? It's going to happen because we, as God's people, talk about Jesus and pass on what we're learning. And the fear is, we all sit there and go, "I am not good enough. I don't know enough. I'm not experienced enough. I'm scared. I'm scared enough to not do it." We, we can have, we can fill in all the gaps. And the thing is that he says is, I have chosen you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Simples. In every place and every space, bear fruit. With every relationship, with every connection, bear fruit. Why? Because as Emma was talking about, he recognizes brokenness, recognizes I'm not enough, but God is enough. And in that moment, he can, use, he can use you. And I don't like using that word use because it kind of feels just like a tool. As he partners with us, he invites us, he joins with us. We join with him in his work. And so we pass on what we're learning. And we show to a world that is desperately in need of understanding that he is enough. 
because the anxiety, the worry, the stress, the, the mental health challenges of our age are rooted in shame. They're rooted in the fear that I am not enough. And I think we've got a better story to tell. So the question is, what story are you telling yourself? And what story will we go on to live ourselves? Yeah, if you're a band with musician, I'd like to come back. That we are, that you are enough in Christ. What's the story? What, how are you going to rewire and reprogram your brain this week to think, no, actually, I, I, yes, true, but this is truer. Christ died for me. When I was far off, Christ died for me. And in Christ Jesus, I am made new. We get to live out of that story. And it gives shape to our stories and folds. And he begins to write it with us as we step into the things that he's called us to do. So we're going to pause. I think there are some questions there you can take a picture of. You can use in your, um, you can use now as the as, uh, musicians play and sing. Um, I just want to sit and ponder those. Um, you might want to take them and journal some thoughts this week. You might want to write out your a different story. I want to tell you that actually this is the story that once was but actually today the story is going to change because I'm going to write a new story I'm not going to believe the fake news anymore I'm going to believe that which Christ has called me into and to live out of the fullness of that which he's purposed you and I to live and I think in that way we begin to live the joy-filled life that he's called us to live in every place and every space both in the organized and the organic of our lives. So just give you a moment and then we'll, uh, an appropriate moment, John and Sarah will lead us.